0: just ahead on Black Issues Forum, closing the achievement gap through a more diverse teacher workforce, the survival of Build Back Better after passage of the infrastructure bill, and how we're feeling about justice as Ahmaud Arbery's accused killers stand trial. Stay with us. Welcome to Black Issues Forum, I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. While legislators and stakeholders go back and forth over what it would take funding wise to finally provide all North Carolina kids the sound basic education they deserve and help close the racial achievement gap, what consideration is being given to another factor that could impact performance and close the gap? that is a racially and culturally diverse teacher workforce. I'd like to welcome one of our state representatives for whom this is a subject of priority, Representative Zach Hawkins in District 31 in Durham. Representative Hawkins, thank you so much for being here on Black Issues Forum.
1: Well, thank you for having me and you're exactly right. This is a top priority for me. It's something um, that uh, I've made a claim to And it's something that I believe can transform the lives, not only of the teaching force, but of the students. And I was one of those students who had uh, my first black teacher in third grade, and it made all the difference in the world. And so I hope that we can provide that uh, for students across North Carolina.
0: That's amazing, my third grade teacher made a huge difference in my, in my career as well. Second grade, and I was very fortunate because I had a black first grade, second grade and third grade teacher and um, they, I looked at these teachers kind of like my own mother and so I, I don't know what the yeah. impact of, of it was but it surely helped to have that support. How much of a difference um, can seeing teachers actually uh, who mirror your own image, make in that performance based on what you've been researching and, and talking about for so long?
1: Sure, no, that, that's a great question. And so what, what the science says, what the research says is that uh, if the earlier that students have a teacher of color in the classroom and the more that they have throughout their matriculation to K through 12, it increases uh, their ability to graduate and their ability to go to college. And so this is, this is just consistent. And so um, not only uh, do we see that students of color benefit because of course, um, as you read in many, many articles, you'll find that uh, even when um, you know, students of color that are high academic AIG, gifted and talented will come through, the less that uh, they have of, of teachers of color, the less they are recognized for those types of achievements. The more teachers of color, the more students of color that are recognized for those. And of course that does something for their academic boost, their confidence, and again, their ability to graduate and go to college. And so I was a uh, public school teacher and I could tell the difference when my students saw me come into that classroom and what it meant for them. And so one of the things that we're really trying to do in the legislature through, we uh, may have heard through the DRIVE Task Force, which is a diversity sort of education uh, task force that the governor put together, It outlines um, and and mirrors a lot of what is in Leandro about what what we specifically need to do to make sure that we can increase the task force, we can increase the teaching profession. And so I really think it's important. I hope this is something that all North Carolinians can get behind because with the teacher shortage across the state of North Carolina, uh, this is one of the best places we can get a return on investment and then make sure that we have a diverse workforce um, that is talented and able to take all these big jobs that are coming into our state.
0: Let's dig into that task force and some of the solutions a little bit. What specifically can be done policy-wise, legislative-wise to increase the teacher workforce, the diversity among teachers there?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And so, uh, you know, some of it is, is really clear and it helps everyone, is in North Carolina, we still have the most board certified teachers in the country, states from around the country come to us for hours. Of course, we need to make sure that we're giving more financial incentives um, and uh, more uh, financial support so that people can take that test and be more board certified. The more uh, diverse that uh, teaching sort of class is, the better it is for all of us. Second, make sure that we're paying teachers above the national average. I would dare say in the top 10 of all states. That, of course, will make sure that we have uh, more teachers uh, in general, but more teachers of color. I would say, thirdly, we have to invest in uh, grow, a grow your own program. We have so many uh, TAs and veterans that uh, want to get into the teaching profession. We all know the TA that has been in the classroom for 10 years, that knows everyone in the community and is invested. We need to make sure that for him or her, we're giving them a little bit of support so they can go get that, other, that remaining uh, two years of their degree, and they can be a certified teacher in the classroom. Those are people that will stay, invest, and continue to support uh, our local communities. The other piece, of course, that I think is uh, is absolutely critical is making sure that we help with, um, and this is something that we're working we worked on in the DRIVE task force, is that we look at the the pipeline in general and help our local LEAs understand where to go get diverse talent. Um, we also have to make sure that we're uh, like we have done so far, I'm so excited that the Teaching Fellows Program, uh, something that we thought was going to have to be a policy decision, we filed bills around it, um, but the, the UNC system and the Teaching Fellows Commission added two HBCUs and one MSI to the Teaching Fellow list. That means that's an absolute golden opportunity to pour more resources into places where we know they're dedicated to educating um, students, but especially students of color. So those are just a few.
0: And it sounds like a lot of policies that will benefit the teaching profession, the pool of teachers overall and broadly, but but really keying in on why the disparity, I would say, exists. There's so many students of color in the school system and That's there are very good. few teachers of color in the school system, so even if, everyone gets paid more and these policies get to apply to all teachers and they're all valuable. Um, The qualified teachers are all valuable and and deserve to be paid. How will we get more teachers of color in that classroom? What's really standing in the way right now? Yeah, well,
1: I mean, it's it's and that's what we discovered on the DRIVE Task Force, that it it really is a a large number of, of barriers that get into the way all of which I think we can we can remove, um, but nothing, nothing re- uh, replaces uh, the actual recruitment uh, and retention because for the teachers that we have, we have to do what we're supposed to do to keep them. And so what we find is that sometimes uh, teachers of color have said, and we found out through the drive task force that they need mentorship. They need to understand what the pipeline is for them to move up if they wanted to become, what's the process for them to become an AP? What's the process for them to become a principal? How can they take on a larger role? How can they become a better teacher? How can we make sure that those resources and training are available? Those are things that absolutely keep the ones that we have. Uh, To the earlier point that you made, uh, over 50%, well over 50% of the students in North Carolina classrooms are of color. Less, right about 20% of the teachers are of color. When I was at Southern High School in Durham, Uh, In Durham County in general, about 70 to 80% of our students are of color, and it doesn't match up with the teachers of color. And so what it really also boils down to is the ability to recruit. And that's why the NC Teaching Fellows um, piece was so incredibly important. Um, And again, going back to the fact that some some human resources uh, folks around the state and in LEAs are not clear about how to recruit diverse talent. Where do we get them from? How can we make sure that there's a direct line so they understand where to get that talent? And it does boil down uh, to to pain Um, because people uh, that go to school, especially for those who get a master's degree, they wanna be rewarded for that. They wanna, they've shown that they've invested um, time, energy and their intellect into growing their craft, right? They wanna become a better teacher. They wanna become a a teacher that can excite uh, young minds uh, for the future. And we need to make sure that we're compensating them for that because the reward uh, is something that I think uh, will take us really, really far. And of course, uh, again, I wanna hone in on this, is recruitment and retention of those teachers is something that is one of the biggest barriers that we found in the task force.
0: With that recruitment and retention, I, I, I would imagine that's impacting what happens at the point of hire because Um, say you have the qualified teachers coming in there they're not are they getting hired what's happening at that hiring point is there any policy that can impact that
1: sure well that and that's going to have to come down to our local school boards right and that's where the leas the local education uh groups sort of have to decide what their educational diversity goals are um and, and of course that starts with admitting that you don't have the type of teacher workforce that's reflective of the schools, of the students that you teach. And so we are, uh, we're consistently meeting. Uh, We did wrap up uh, at the end of December, 2020, all of our recommendations, but we now have action plans and action uh, committees within the DRIVE Task Force to make sure that we're consistently working, not only to uh, help move forward the policy, but seeing what we can do to connect as as close to the ground as possible. Because a lot of it, uh, no pun intended, is about education. Um, and, uh, and I think it really does boil down to one of the pieces that, um, uh, we did recommend, and we're hoping that we can get some traction on in the next few terms is having a dashboard. Um, and that not only is a dashboard statewide that sort of tells us, uh, where we are with the number of students of color we have versus the number of teachers of color that we have, but then breaking that down to the County level and the district level. So there, there can be no denying that we need to do improvements in certain areas. And in that way, the state, the State Board of Education, legislators, can then step in even further once we have that data.
0: Representative Hawkins, thank you so much for that conversation about teacher diversity. I want you to stick with us as we move on to our next topic. Thank you. President Joe Biden prepares for a nationwide victory lap to promote the passage of the $1.2 trillion roads, bridges, and broadband infrastructure plan. 13 Republicans who voted in favor of it were certainly needed in view of the fact that six Democrats voted against it. Joining the conversation, I want to welcome Attorney Jessica Holmes and political analyst Steve Rao. Really appreciate you two being with us. Jessica, for months now, it's been said that this bill had bipartisan favor and that the Democrats who threatened to vote down the bill held to their promise. Uh, was this a good decision for the reasons that they said?
2: I'll first start by acknowledging that yes, indeed, this will be a victory lap for President Joe Biden. This. He, on this upcoming Monday, he will sign into law the largest federal investment in infrastructure in more than a decade um, in a bipartisan initiative. We're talking about good jobs, we're talking about improvements in our ports and our transportation and improvements in our supply chain. Yes, there were several individuals, several Democrats who voted against it. Um, What I would say to those individuals is that sometimes perfect can be the enemy of good. Um, In the end, um, this is a good deal, not just for progressives, not just for moderates, not just for Republicans, but this is a great deal for Americans. Um, We all know with the shift to virtual school and learning that, you know, we had kids, you know, pulling up at a McDonald's in order to learn. So this isn't just a win for the Joe Biden presidency. This is literally a win for everyone in the country. And while we didn't get everyone on the left and everyone on the right everyone on the left and the right and in between will actually benefit from the passage of this law.
0: Well, what did not come along with this was that second infrastructure plan. And, Steve, what was at risk for or what is at risk for legislators who voted against their party?
3: Well, you know, I think there's always a risk. I mean, I think with Republicans, let's start with the Republicans. You know, there's always, uh, you know, obviously threats of conservatives coming in from the right Uh, to, you know, question in a primary for Republicans. So, you know, I definitely think it'll be interesting to see moving forward if these Republicans are primaried for the 2022 elections, it could be damaging. Uh, You know, time will tell. And I think that's going to hold them back from most likely uh, supporting the $1.75 trillion um, social infrastructure package. Uh, In terms of Democrats like Senator Joe Manchin, uh, you know, Manchin continues to uh, fight these, these bills uh, based on, you know, citing reasons for inflation. Uh, he's against tax credits for electric vehicles, for union-made electric vehicles, uh, charging stations because you know, he thinks that we shouldn't be picking winners or losers. And uh, you know, Senator Sinema as well. So I think that I don't know whether Joe Manchin would have a risk of losing in a rel- in a red state, West Virginia, but I do believe that um, you know any Democrat, you know, that doesn't support this, you know, my analogy would be. YOU KNOW, AND I AGREE WITH uh, JESSICA HOLMES. I MEAN, YOU KNOW, if, IF YOU'RE PLAYING A FOOTBALL GAME AND YOU CAN SCORE A FIELD GOAL TO PUT POINTS ON THE BOARD, YOU'RE GOING TO KICK THE FIELD GOAL. SO I SAY KICK THE FIELD GOAL, INITIATE THIS MAJOR INVESTMENT, AND WE CAN COME BACK AND DO THE the, uh, the SOCIAL INFRASTRUCTURE PACKAGE. I MEAN, THE FACT OF the MATTER IS THAT, YOU KNOW, THIS IS ALL ABOUT AMBITION AND ALSO EXECUTION. I ALSO HAVE CONCERNS OF THE RISING COST OF INFRASTRUCTURE IN AMERICA. And how quickly we can get these projects done. And you know, it's also
0: a matter of you know, when when we're talking about victory, we're talking about uh, the community, about the people, and the fact that it could be said that those who voted against party were voting for the country. Representative Hawkins, what are your thoughts about what this vote means for for the successful package or the successful passage of the next uh, package, the Build Back Better plan?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, thank you first for in, including me with these two amazing colleagues, and I think the, um, you know, what it means for for folks. Uh, we we know first that in North Carolina, no no North Carolina GOP member voted uh, for this, or so probably will vote for any any future infrastructure bills. But the thing that's the most important for me is what's in it. Um, and exactly sort of how it's going to impact people, especially here in North Carolina. And so if you start talking about $7 billion for roads, 911 million for public transportation, 100 million for broadband, I mean, you have, to me, you have to go and make that case to someone why you voted against that. Um, outside of the, uh, the Triangle area and some of the more populous areas, North Carolina is losing population, which means they're losing opportunity. And so the the ability to invest in this way should have pushed everyone over the edge. Everyone has their political reasons for not doing so, um, but the proof is in the pudding and the thing that I think Joe Biden and, and those who voted for this bill, legacy, their legacy will be that they transformed America, very similar to what the New Deal did almost a hundred years ago.
0: Well, one of the things that's said is that as far as the message being put out there on this second piece of legislation, there's not enough clarity perhaps on exactly what this is going to do it's just being called the social bill the build back better jessica what can you share about um, what's in that plan and how it would benefit north carolinians
2: Um, well for starters i'll note that there has to has been a lack of clarity um, getting down to sort of laypersons regarding exactly what's in this bill Um, but also going back to acknowledging the infrastructure bill Um, and talking about the national political landscape, when we look at what happened in Virginia and what happened in New Jersey, my message to Democrats at the national level is that we better get some clarity real quick because we started with a bill that seemed to have a much larger number and we keep whittling it down and then we add things back like, you know, uh, the possibility of paid leave. And now, quite frankly, who knows what's really in the bill because, you know, it it seems like it changes every other day. So moving forward, one of the things that Joe Biden will need to do is get that clarity down to everyday Americans so we know how it not only impacts the country, but people right here in our own communities.
0: Absolutely, and as far as uh, our own community is concerned, I think we have just about a minute left. I'm gonna let that be shared between you, Steve, and Representative Hawkins. You know what is in this for North Carolinians? Because the, some some would argue that all of this money is going to the the northern states and to big cities and so forth. But you know what can our rural communities look forward to, Steve?
3: Well, first of all, broadband. You know, seven, uh, 65 billion uh, going into broadband and you know upgrading our water systems and and you know providing for clean water. But broadband in rural uh, North Carolina uh, critical. I know Representative Hawkins would agree with me on that, providing the ability for education. Electric vehicles. Uh, we all want to drive more electric vehicles. We simply don't have enough charging stations. I want to buy an electric vehicle, but I just don't know how I would find the next charging station, even in my own town of Morrisville. So I think that those are important things. And then, you know, of course, you know, other investments would be childcare tax credits, uh, healthcare, you know, reducing prescription drug prices. Those are all in the social infrastructure bill. But I'll end with this. I mean, the fact of the matter is, for the last few decades. American economy has only been growing with tax cuts, and most of the federal spending has been on social programs. Mm -hmm. Now we have an opportunity to invest over 1% of our GDP in research, in innovation, in infrastructure. That's right, so thank you, uh, Steve,
0: I'm sorry to cut you off, but I want to get Representative Hawkins in on this question as well. I agree
1: with a lot of what Steve said and what that translates to is the ability for uh, jobs to be created, millions of jobs to be created, people uh, that can make living wages and have them transform their families. Secondly, uh, business. Uh, These are a lot of contracts that will will come through DOT, that will come through uh, some of our areas. And this is an opportunity for equity to be displayed uh, by making sure that women, women and minority owned businesses have their piece of the pie with this opportunity. And so I really think that everything he said was absolutely correct with all the numbers, but we need to boil it down to everyday terms so people understand how it's gonna transform their life. And if we don't do that, then it is a failure um, of, of the paper that this bill was written on if we can't translate it and make sure people can talk about it at the kitchen table uh, to say what uh, and how uh, this Democrat Joe Biden is delivering for them.
0: Well, definitely looks like a decision that's gonna benefit people all over the country. Since early this month, the nation has watched as details unfold surrounding the shooting death of the unarmed 25-year-old Ahmad Arbery in Georgia. Many will remember that February 23rd, 2020, this young black man was chased down in a suburban neighborhood by an older white man and his son, who have claimed that he looked like someone suspected of a recent series of break-ins. Video of the encounter was captured and circulated on social media. Probably most discomforting for the black community regarding this trial is the jury selected, which includes only one black jurist. Um, Jessica, what does the law say about um, the makeup of a jury and fairness for both sides represented?
2: Well, what we have here is a jury of 12 individuals that are supposed to be sort of peers and community members. In this instance, um, the reality is that the the legal standard is that these 12 individuals must come to a unanimous decision of guilt. And the government, or rather the prosecution, must prove that the crime was committed beyond a reasonable doubt. What I like in this situation, too, is when when I watch the video footage of Mr. Armory running away, these three individuals acting like a slave patrol going after a runaway slave and expecting them to stop at his command. They literally hunted that man down like he was a runaway slave or in today's terms like he was a a dog whose life didn't matter. And so one of the concerns of many in this case is the fact that of a community, a county that's comprised of about 26% people of color, people who are African-American, and of 12 jurors, there's only one person who is black. Even the judge acknowledged that there appeared to be intentional discrimination on the side of the defense, quite frankly, to make sure they weren't many black people on this jury.
0: However, and that judge has no, that judge's um, assessment really has no impact. He has no influence or power to even change that. He just sort of made a recognition. I don't know how much difference that's gonna make, but. Steve, what are your
2: takeaways? Unfortunately, the legal standard is that the judge, as long as there is a legitimate or justifiable reason these individual jurors were dismissed, then there's nothing the judge can do about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Steve, what are your takeaways so far? And what do you think uh, the outcome will be in terms of how weighty it is uh, in reference, or rather, in comparison, say to the Derek Chauvin trial.
3: Well, I think this is a very important trial. I mean, let's go back to the you know the fact of the matter is a black man, Armart Aubrey, was jogging in his neighborhood and was shot because he was suspected, suspected, I repeat, suspected, of burglary. And so, you know, first of all, I am concerned about only having one black juror. I think it does not represent uh, what a jury should make up in a community. Uh, that's you know predominantly white, but 26% black minorities in that in that town in that region, and I think that you it, it does affect uh, the outcome, and I think that you know the other thing is I will say is systemic racial bias. So uh, there was testimony this week uh, that you know someone saw uh, Armand Arbery in front of a home without a tool belt, and just a statement made well you know, did that mean that he might have wanted to commit a crime? You see, that's racial bias, something we don't think about. You see someone black and you assume that there's going to be a crime. And then the third thing is, you know, I have concerns about, you know, when Reverend Sharpton or other black leaders want to come and support this family, uh, to say, it, it does come across rather insensitive to say, well, we don't want you doing that. And so uh, I do think that this verdict will be like a Derek Chauvin verdict. I think it's very important. And we need to make sure that... Uh, in, a, in, a, in a generation when we elected Barack Obama, uh, the first black president of the United States, uh, we're still having these incidents happen. And no black man or woman should ever be jogging in a neighborhood and be afraid they're going to shot, even if they're suspected. They should be brought in for questioning. I, you know, I anyway. can't imagine
0: uh, yeah. running, or jogging, and right. then encountering a truck following me and then being blocked in.
3: Shouldn't happen in America or anywhere. Representative
0: in the world. Hawkins, uh, what? Question or issue? Do you think is at the yeah, center well, of this particular? I'm yeah, I'm a runner.
1: Yeah, I'm a runner, and so um, uh, you know, and so is so is Steve, and so are lots of folks that I know that look like me. And so it did send shockwaves because there was no doubt that at any given point that that could have been uh, me or someone uh, who looked like me. And so that's that's frightening. Um, and the thing that I want to go back to is just like many people do this, you're walking through a neighborhood or somewhere that you're unfamiliar with, you want to say, take in the new scenery. He was looking at an unfinished home. How many people do just that to see, oh, well, what's going on with this house? How does it, how is it made? Oh, maybe I can get some ideas, something that every American admitted to when they found out what was going on. And then as Steve and Jessica said, uh, because of the color of his skin, uh, he, was, he was hunted down. And so uh, in, in places like North Carolina, um, you know, what it basically says is that if you have a, you, you know, use self-defense, if you are like you know, defending your home, defending your family in your vehicle, something that you own, none of which they were, they were on a public street um, and expected, as Jessica said, him to stop at their command and to think that they were going to use vigilante justice uh, to make this happen. Um, the one black juror—it's an insult. But if sure. you look over the course of history, uh, that's one thing that is almost a tongue-in-cheek with many of these kinds of cases. Even if you go back to the 1930s and
2: 40s.
0: Yeah. Well, let, needless real- to say, needless to say, everyone will be watching this uh, very closely. The outcome. Representative Zach Hawkins, Steve Rao, Jessica Holmes. Thank you so much for your insights and for your comments today.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: I want to thank today's guests and we invite you to engage with us on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Black Issues Forum. You can also find our full episodes on pbsnc.org slash Black Issues Forum or listen at any time on Apple iTunes, Spotify or Google Podcasts. For Black Issues Forum, I'm Deborah Holt Noel. Thanks for watching. Quality Public Television is made possible through the financial contributions
3: of viewers like you, who invite you to join them in supporting PBSNC.